Hello everybody and welcome to the AtCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I am a humanoid interface for contact with organic life forms <laughs> created by the information integration thought entity that governs this galaxy, Soup. <laughs> and I'm your cynical narrator protagonist, Renu. This week we aren't interested in normal human beings. If any of you are aliens, <laughs> time travelers, isekai protagonists, or espers, please come see us. That is all. This week, S stands for August Termination, because we'll be talking about the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, which is quite timely for various reasons. One, because um this episode was, you know, supposed to come out on the first of September, um, because that is when the Endless Eights arc ends. Yeah. But um, due to some scheduling conflicts, that just that just didn't end up happening. But that's okay. Uh, we have come to you on the first day past August's end, as you know, the August termination. So that's where we are right now. Um, but also because for whatever reason, after like nine years, a new Harui Suzumiya light novel has been announced for release. And yeah. <laughs> People in Japan are doing the Hare Hare Yukai again, and <laughs> it's really weird. As is their right. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, yeah, uh, well, before we get into, uh, how small and insignificant your human experience is in the face of cosmic horror that is the sheer magnitude of the universe, what have we been up to? <laughs> Let's talk about our insignificant human experiences. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, well... August has been very a lot. I'm very tired and I <laughs> um it's just like a lot of move and personal stuff. But uh even just like today, we were supposed to have like a potential um adopter lined up for our three black foster cats who are the only ones we have left. Mm-hmm. And um we were talking with this um person who had three kids and they wanted to adopt all of the cats to one for each kid oh boy. and it was all good and we were all gucci and we were supposed to meet today and then they ghosted us <laughs> oh no and it was so like emotionally draining right because like i was so prepared to i, I had to like you know, think about the fact that, oh, this is going to be like the last night that I'm spending with these boys, but they'll be going to a good home, we hope. We're going to have to vet this person, make sure that, you know, they'll be able to take care of the cats properly, so on and so forth. And then they just never responded today. Like they were supposed to text us at a certain time to uh, get our address and then come over and meet the, the the cats. And then they never texted us and then they never responded when we texted them. So they just straight up ghosted us. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, aside from getting trying to get these uh boys adopted, um, well, the other problem is that because we're coming up on October, we don't want to adopt them out during October because that's Halloween month and people do horrible yeah. things to black cats during Halloween. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, um, we'll see how this goes. I really hope we can find them all. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, aside from that, there was, uh, apparently there was a hurricane, but we were rather unaffected, so that was good. I think that's it. <laughs> okay. That's fair enough, fair enough. Mm-hmm. How about you? Well, um, so, since the last time we've talked, uh, California has, uh, entered, uh, the sort of annual, at this point, fire season, which gets just a little <laughs> bit worse every year. Um, this year was especially bad, um, because, well, you know, uh, all of the terrible, uh, pandemic that's happening, um, basically what happened is... We had a freak lightning storm, one the likes of which we have not seen in probably decades. And oh. it it was, I, I mean, I was uh, definitely awake in the middle of the night when it started. Um, it was actually funny. Mm-hmm. I was going to put the podcast episode up that week uh, on that Sunday, but then the thunderstorm started rolling in. So I was like, well, I probably shouldn't edit on on the off chance that it kind of just fries my entire computer that would be no gucci so uh-huh. um basically i was like okay you know what i'll just i'll take the night off you know um i'll just i'll just put it up next week uh which yeah. is unfortunate cuz I, I know a lot of our episodes have been being delayed for one reason or another i don't know research always takes a little bit longer than we think it does um we have lives outside of the podcast uh except for me i don't i all i do is sit here <laughs> consume media and then podcast <laughs> so yeah um but i kind of um it's kind of terrible right because the main firefighting force in in california um quite a large like kind of supplement to it um if not like really you could just consider it the main force at this point is is prison labor which is a, a oh. point of much contention, right? Yeah. Um, because essentially people are being paid like two cents an hour to fight terrible fires. And right, then risk their lives and so on. Right. And then once they get out of prison, they're actually barred from being firefighters. That's the law. Hmm. Which is just all kinds of messed up for all kinds right. of reasons. Um, luckily, yeah. they, luckily a, a new bill has been uh, introduced this week that um, does seek to remedy this by allowing <gasps> it to... Um, it allows people who work as firefighters in prison to apply for being firefighters after being in prison, and it'll like basically Aww. scrub scrub their like you know um, prison record, which is what? You know, really, That's really so nice. nice. What? Yeah, as far as kind of penal justice goes, um, California is one of the less worse in in a country that is increasingly much badder. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like one of those little tiny shining lights in in a moment yeah. of otherwise everything is awful all the time. Um, but basically, we a lot of our fires weren't weren't getting contained really fast, and our air air quality was really bad because all of the inmates who don't have you know um, sanitation protections and uh, as many rights as other human beings for some inane reason uh, had COVID. Right. So because of right. COVID, we couldn't have the firefighters in the prison do the prison labor um right and so our uh, so our state was burning for quite right. a long time and it's still some of the fires are i think still going um yeah they're not quite as bad anymore but my goodness it was not so gucci a week ago like you couldn't open the doors without just smelling the smoke everywhere oh my god um, and like we we live in one of the like less smoky kind of areas uh luckily right right? yeah um we were in this like tiny pocket of like decent enough air and even we were kind of like we could smell the smoke outside like like it was you know somebody was like setting up a a, a wooden campfire like yeah pretty close by um 
yeah, so that was that was Noguchi, um, and luckily it's a little bit more under control now. Um, but uh, obviously we should still be concerned because, well, we're only just entering fire season. Um, oh. Yeah, we don't have winter. We we have we have summer, and then we have fire season, and then we have <laughs> less summer, and then we have spring. <laughs> I feel that we if you replaced fire season with hurricane season, that's us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, every every uh, place has their kind of natural disasters. Uh, traditionally, ours has been earthquakes, but now we also have to worry about terrible wildfires ravaging. Everything yeah, why not? Us. Why not a two for you know? Yeah, just, just a, a two for that. one, just a a, a fun <laughs> a fun two for one. Yeah. Um. Aside from that, like nothing, nothing else really that exciting. Um. I am. Mm-hmm. Um. And this is somewhat inadvisable. Um. It's this is kind of one of those like uh do as I say, not as I do moments. But I am going mm-hmm. on a a trip, a a small retreat to a cabin in the woods. Uh. With some oh? with some friends of mine. Um. That does sound irresponsible when I say it, like just kind of like that. But rest assured, uh, we are we are definitely all COVID free, um, and we. Uh, I just need to be out of this house, you know. Like I cannot. One cannot live with their parents f- forever in an kind of like an in a, uh, you know, a continuous line of of existence, right? You need breaks, and uh, I mean, if, yeah. If the I disease imagine you guys have all been responsibly social distancing and and yeah, quarantining no, up course, until this point. I don't, so I don't go outside. The, right, I don't go outside, the, and I've been tested. To, to worry, right? Yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, so we're yeah. gonna retreat to the to the woods for a week, and that's honestly gonna be so good for my my mental state. Honestly, yeah. Um, I mean, you gotta take care of your physical health and your mental health. So yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, I've just been getting some work done. Um, getting some freelancing mm-hmm. stuff done. Um, I'm still working on that patreon stuff i don't know every time i like look at so i every time i look at like the essay that i've been writing up to to post on patreon like more pops into my brain and i'm like oh i gotta write more there's more things to write and uh you know sometimes you just have to be done with something yeah yeah for sure it's it's kind of like I mean, writing i i imagine the that process is quite similar to the artistic process in which you you can always keep cracking away at it, but eventually you just have to call it done <laughs> and move on to something else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's where that's where I'm at life wise. I don't know. The, this segment is always a little bit funny when we're kind of in the middle of um, not being able to go outside, really. And it's just like there's even less happening in our lives than normal. <laughs> like somehow there's less happening and also more happening. It's actually kind of amazing. <laughs> like it, it's more that's happening or at the very it's less that takes up more and none of it is interesting to talk about right it's like uh, <laughs> I, I sat inside and i i just i did some some work and uh yeah it's just it's not that interesting although i did um i think you'll be you'll be quite proud of uh proud of me that uh I, the, for the last week i have been sleeping at normal human being hours i have what i have been that's going a classy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been going to bed like, um, well, really, it varies, but when I just kind of lie down when I'm tired. Um, but I've been going to bed anywhere from like 8 to 12 p.m. Or well, 8, 8 p.m. to 12 a.m., I suppose um, you should right. say. Um, 
And then I wake up at like seven or eight in the morning and then I, I just get up and I, I just do some stuff. Um, I have just, noticed you being on online at the same time as me. And I was very surprised. And I was like, either this this fool stayed up all night or they actually <laughs> slept at a reasonable time. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and it's a little it's a little bit of, you know, a uh, little bit of A, a little bit of B, uh, because I, now that my friend has sort of started a Minecraft server up again, uh, it's just going to oh. go to shit. Yeah, it's, it's going it's to oh. go. I have to talk with your friend. <laughs> talk in the way that a yakuza talks to somebody. <laughs> we're, all, we're all above board here. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of that's it. Um, nothing, okay. nothing, nothing aside from that. Um, it's been really weird actually going to sleep and waking up at a, a normal time because it means, um. I don't know what it is. Uh, I think it's because in the morning time, none of my friends are awake, so I just get more work done. <laughs> How you know about I mean? that? There's always that. There's, there's always that temptation when somebody's like, "Hey, you want to play some video games?" I'm like, "Yeah, I could play some video games," and you should never accept that offer. Hmm. At least not when you have work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, shall we talk about uh, the melancholy of Harry Suzumiya? Heck yes, at last. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it has, it's been a long time um, coming. This this has been this podcast episode has been in the works for about a year because last year I realized, wait, what if we released an episode about Hari Suzumiya right right as the Endless Eights arc would have ended, and it was already too late by that point. So I I saved it for this year, and it took us forever to watch through all of it. And you know, to be honest, like I I kind of didn't watch the last like 20 minutes of the the movie because i you know just didn't have time to um which is rare <laughs> gonna, which is rare to be to, for a hundred percent transparency i might have watched parts of the movie at two times speed to <laughs> to make sure that um, i was finished before the that's, podcast <laughs> that's very fair uh luckily for me i have i have the gist of the the movie kind of ingrained into my like f- frontal lobe um it has been some time since I've watched it. I think that movie came out in like 2010 or 2011. Yes, and 2010. Mm-hmm. I watched it when it came out, like when it was first sort of fan subbed, because you know it was impossible to get anime back then. Um, yeah. And I don't think I've watched it since. I don't think I've watched oh. Harley since. Wow. Since like 2008 or like nine, which is wow. So it's been a decade kinda, for you. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous when I think about it. I'm like that. That was a long time. Like I haven't rewatched it since then. Like, I'm almost certain that I haven't. Right. And now we got the timeliness of the new book coming out. So it's just, it's coming Nature back around for you, man. <laughs> Nature is healing. I'm I'm part of Haruhi Suzumiya again. No, I mean, it is, before we get into it, like, Haruhi Suzumiya means a lot to me as as a, a sort of series. Um, because it was one of the first, like, anime uh, sort of things that I really got into outside of... Um, kind of what what i saw on on television right Mm. um you know outside of your like naruto's and your triguns uh like not to say that that isn't but like it was one of the more esoteric shows that i watched um at the at the very least at the time for a western audience quite esoteric um yeah very different as a um which is funny because like haru suzumiya is probably one of the sort of generational hallmarks when i really think about it right yeah like it doesn't it wasn't the first school anime by any stretch of the imagination, um, nor was it the first that did anything uh, of, of its kind, but it really marks this, this period where anime became 
something else that was more like Haruhi than not, right? Yeah, and yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that's always been very interesting to me, kind of um, on a meta layer about what what Haruhi meant historically in in the context of anime. Um, but to me personally, like I have a lot of sort of feelings wrapped around it because it was in in a sense kind of what got me into into anime as a mm. as a larger medium um right past just just what i was what i was um yeah i was like this is what anime can be wild right mm. like it was the first time that an anime was just like can you use your brain a little bit for me just just a little bit right i was like yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but before we get into that, like, let's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read you this little blurb that I wrote up that, um, that will go through what Harui Suzumiya is for those of yeah. you who are not necessarily in the know or maybe who just want a refresher. So, yeah. The Melancholy of Harui Suzumiya is, uh, was originally a light novel series written by uh, Nagaru Tanegawa and illustrated by Noizu Ito. It was published in 2003 by Kadokawa Shoten. And it follows the adventures of Kyon, a normal high school boy, as he contends with the secret life of espers, aliens, and time travelers, all revolving around the godlike power of Harui Suzumiya, unbeknownst to her. So she doesn't know. Bored of her daily life, she sets out to find all the supernatural existences and play with them by forming the SOS Brigade, unwittingly dragging in the very entity she's looking for. Um, the anime was adapted in 2006 by Kyoto Animation, and um, they ran for two seasons and a movie. And that's it, actually. Um, the movie came out in like 2010, 2011, and, and we just never got a third season, even though there is more Haruhi. Um, and obviously we'll, we'll talk about kind of the, the adaptation. Um, but, uh, but yeah. It's kind of wild because there's there's like a lot more Harley too, and and it wasn't really adapted into anything that wasn't a light novel. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Or at the very least, like I think it might have been adapted into manga, but like it the kind of period where that would have been scanlated has like long since passed. I think because uh uh at the ver- I think Yen Press licenses like Seven Seas or like Yen Press or something licenses the the light novels in English. I would I'm very curious. I really want to check them out. Um, to be honest. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about it, right? Because Harui Suzumiya is the light novel. Um, <laughs> it this is very important to talk about in the context of of anime and anime trends and like what anime is. But Harui yeah. Suz, like before Harui Suzumiya, there were light novels. They existed, but they were nowhere near as explosively popular as they are now, right? If you look now, I bet 80% of anime is adapted from light novels. Like, mm. it's probably 80% light novels, 10% manga, usually really popular manga, and then, right. like, 10% original stuff, right? Right. Um, and the thing about it is, like, there's kind of a subcategory that has tangented off, off of light novels of, of the web novel, which is like a light novel, except it's not published, it's, or it is published, but not in a traditional sense. It's put on the, it's posted on the internet. It's like if somebody trolled through AO3 and and was like, okay, I'm gonna turn this fanfiction into a movie, right? Um, <laughs> but like, that's but web novels is where all of the isekais come from, so it, right. it, in, in a way, Harui is responsible for the isekai. Um, um, but, <laughs> but like, I mean, honestly, 
as a as a kind of light novel, it was very very formative in the trend of what light novels are and and continue to be. Right, the DNA the DNA of Haruhi Suzumi has kind of felt all over the the weebdom. Um, oh yeah, as mm-hmm. as a you know as we kind of uh, understand it, right? Yeah. Um, there is there's obviously the the kind of uh, narrator commentator role that we see a lot where. Mm-hmm. Light novels. I don't know if you've ever read a light novel, Renu, but like, um, like translated or, uh, officially or not, but like, there are a lot of like first person perspective and somebody just thinking to themselves and interpreting the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the reason for that is is Haruhi Suzumiya, which is interesting because I think in a lot of ways, many light novels don't necessarily need to be like that. But mm-hmm. Haruhi is done that way for a very specific reason at least in my opinion right. um it's it's interesting to me because Haruhi Suzumiya was was the light novel it it essentially started the the popular industry that that continues to be one of the most powerful driving forces behind anime right now right right they're so prolific nowadays that you don't think about the fact that 10 years ago that that wasn't really the case until this anime came out yeah yeah I like it too because when you when you track sort of popular trends like that, um, you can kind of get a glimpse into what that era was like, right? Mm-hmm. Where the thing about Haruhi is that it's not just because it was a light novel that it was popular; it's because Haruhi was a light novel that light novels became popular. And mm. the thing about Haruhi is that it thematically is about very specific things that i think are very very resonant with a with a japanese audience at that time um Mm. like when you look at uh western media now a lot of it is is superhero fiction and superhero media right yes like marvel and and disney as a sort of byproduct of that makes so much money they make yeah. so much money off of uh, off of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they keep pumping these movies up. But people keep watching them, right? And I think it tells us something about what we as audiences want out of our fiction, where um, kind of uh, and this 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 is like I talked about this a little bit um, when, uh, or I I suppose I talked about it a lot when we talked about uh, the last time we talked about My Hero Academia. But the thing about superhero fiction and um, Hiroaka specifically, but you know Marvel movies definitely um, as well. Like they are reproductions of of state violence, but also like they're about like exceptional individuals leading you out of out of dark times and protecting you. And yeah. in the case of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, oftentimes uh, like extra legally, right? Like there's right. an entire conflict in the the sort of first like quote unquote arc of of the Marvel movies about. Uh, what what is the role of a superhero in in society? Should they be bound by governmental regulations? And it's it's interesting because like you know um, Iron Man is uh, like Mister I'm going to bomb Afghanistan. Uh, Iron Man <laughs> was was like maybe we should let there be regulations on superheroes and Captain America is like, no, there shouldn't be because we're exceptional individuals. And it's funny because that is like a very fascist tendency that we see a lot of nowadays where people don't really care about thinking for themselves or, you know, listening to other perspectives. Like they care about 
being on the winning side, about having somebody who is strong enough to protect you from the evil that is out there. Um, mm. So that's that's interesting to me about why like superhero fiction is so popular right now, right? Right. Um, and at the same time, Haruhi Suzumiya, I think, is very popular in that time because of, my, of many of the same reasons that Eva was uh, Eva was popular, right? Like, um, it it has a lot to do with with existentialism and this kind of cosmic horror about yeah. living mm-hmm. in society and being a human being that that exists uh, in yep. a terrible cold universe that doesn't care about you. There's a lot about Hari that's actually very interestingly uh, about nihilism. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Before we kind of really sort of deeper dive into that, I would really love to know your thoughts about it um, as um, I don't know if you've ever watched it before um, or, you know, um, but I would, I would love to hear your thoughts. Okay, uh, yeah, so for Haruhi Suzumiya, I kind of, I was obviously aware of the explosion that it had within the anime community, but uh, from the outside looking in, it just didn't seem like the kind of anime that I wanted to, that I was really into at the time. Um, probably around that time, I was watching stuff like Sayuki and um, right, right. other stuff like that, like it's more action-oriented you know, shonen stuff, like, that was coming out at that time. So, <laughs> um, I just kind of ended up missing the entire wave of it. Um, and so, at the most, I had only seen, you know, clips, and of course the ending, of course, in, which was so famous. And then, so this was the first time that I actually watched it all the way through, like, beginning to end, and then the uh, movie as well. Uh, and it was very, it was... So different from the impression that I had gotten when I was younger. Um, and I had wished someone had just told me what it was about, or I had just, you know, in my teenage brain had gone out of my way to look it up for myself. Right. Uh, because the premise itself is so interesting and I think would have really been up my alley, but I just, I don't know, I just didn't get into it. It's <laughs> at okay, that time. Renee. That was, that was me with Ava. So, uh, yeah. you know, we traded. Yeah, it's it it happens. I mean, I was I didn't get into Ava back then either and now here we are. <laughs> yeah, now here we are with an entire podcast about Neon yeah. Genesis Evangelion. Hidekiano's <laughs> Wild Ride. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um it was really interesting and I could uh it was it was fun I guess seeing it now in I guess quote unquote hindsight like being able to track all of its influences, like, oh, okay, so this is where this kind of trend came from, and this is why people do this in the anime community, like, that kind of stuff that I never really, like, for sure knew about. Like, I would be able to guess that, oh, maybe it came from this anime, but I didn't know for sure until now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, it, it's, it's, it's basically just that general feeling of you see something that was really influential and famous for the first time, and then you're able to in hindsight, go back and see how what kind of effects it had. Like right, nowadays, right. if this were to come out, it might seem a bit cliche or whatever, but that's because it was the one that started it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, did you have a, uh, I don't know, like did you, did you have a favorite moment, I suppose? I, sh- I should ask like a favorite moment, favorite character, that sort of stuff. <sighs> um, I'm also weak for Nagato Yuki. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. Good right. lord. <laughs> Of course, like, of course. For sure, the most, I don't know, something about her character feels just just, just right, you know, in terms of uh, 
what I would I prefer out of I don't know a story. Yeah, I guess, everything just kind of locks seeing into her place. very gradual growth and 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 progression in her character. I didn't sense that nearly as much with uh uh, uh with like Koizumi for example or mm-hmm. Mikuru like. Um, I feel like Nagato was such a special character in her own in that in this series. Yeah, um, I, I and I, yeah. I I don't think you're wrong there, right? Like I think that yeah. I think that Nagato has maybe the most complex character in the entire series. Yeah, I don't think that would be an understatement to say. Like obviously Harvey right. is the centerpiece, and the other right. characters have certain you know little things about them, and you know the main character we we get to sort of roll around in his mind a lot but i think of all of the right. characters uh nagato is the one that is the the most characterized and the most uh the, the one that has kind of the the most recognizable arc i suppose you should say yeah um, mm-hmm. but yeah i mean you know i'm you know i'm weak for yuki nagato <laughs> i mean that's not even not even funny right <laughs> it's like Nagata Yuki was was one of those characters that you like see on screen and it's a formative experience. You're like, "Oh mm-hmm. no." Right? And I think it, this is interesting, right? Because Yuki Nagato is basically like if if Rei was was more of a character in Ava. Yes, I I agree. If if Rei had more of a presence in the anime, then then she and, and Nagato would would overlap even more than they already do. Yeah. Like right well, now they they overlap in the in, sen- in the sense of that they're both uh, kind of alien entities. They they kind of see the human species as something different from them and so they take a slightly more observer like uh role in the story. Mm-hmm. Um but uh the fine tunings of their characters is is a bit different because of their their interactions with the protagonist are slightly different. Um, but there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between them, right? Um, right. I, yeah. Speaking of Ava, it's it and and let's let's talk about like the the sort of uh, look of it, right? The production of it. Um, yeah. Before we kind of roll into themes, um, I it's it is so funny to me how many shots in in this anime are like just direct homages to Ava. There's so many, <laughs> like. I think there's at least three different elevator scenes, right? Yeah, yeah. All of the elevator scenes, the the poolside scenes with with Nagato specifically was just like uh, they positioned her just like they did with Ray in Ava right. as well. And I was like, oh my god, here we go. Yeah, it, it it's very funny because like all yeah. of that doesn't exist in the light novel, right? This is ah. stuff that is well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it obviously couldn't, right? Right, so, like, right. these are directing choices made by the anime staff. And I think as far as an anime adaptation goes, Haruhi is, like, probably one of the best, g- given all of the circumstances surrounding it. The fact that they never got a third season sort of greenlit for various reasons, part of which uh, it will we'll sort of <laughs> touch on. Um, because, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that th- there's a big sort of elephant in the room that it, there's a big August-shaped elephant in the room that we'll, we will get to, I promise. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so they were never greenlit for a season three, but they did have the movie, The Disappearance of, of Haruya Suzumiya, and yeah. they end it in such a way that the anime is complete, right? Yeah. There is yeah. way more light novel, but none of it matters to the anime, um, which is, I mean, <laughs> obviously, to, to a younger me, this was, this was just 
like treason. This this was terrible and tragic. Mm. I I really wanted more Harui because you know when and 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 this was God man. Sometimes I really think about like how far I've uh, become a, a jaded human being because like you know back when I would like binge an anime season in like a day and then I would be like but but I want more anime I want to live in this world a little longer and that is a feeling I get so rarely nowadays like I I I honestly do feel it again with Haruhi to some extent um I feel it a lot with Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood when I go back and watch that again. Um, <laughs> but very, very few anime I watch nowadays, I, I like watch all the way through and I'm like, man, I really just could just go back and start from episode one again. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, the anime is, is gorgeous, actually. And yeah. I really didn't think it would hold up as much as it, as it did and i suppose i shouldn't be as surprised because it, it, it's done by kyoto animation and it's one of their kind of uh i would say one of their most famous works yeah i would say the the era that this came out in you know early 2000s uh till 2010 i had a couple of works like this that had animation that was just really like even if it was uh, you know, you could tell where they might have saved budget here and there. The animation right. holds up even when we watch it now. Like, we watched Toradora for the podcast um, yeah, last yeah. year, and there was a lot of animation in there that held up, even though you could very clearly tell it was from right. the early 2000s. You you can definitely see the seams in Toradora specifically. Um, yes. And it does work, uh, as I've said, in, in the, the show's favor. Um, but Harvey just, like, is really solid all around. Like, Kyoto Animation really just knocks it out of the park every single yeah, time. Yeah, they're a very like, solid animation company for sure. Everything about it is so good. And, like, I, I explained this to you while we were watching the um, the uh, Endless Eights arc together, which, by the way, uh, if you want to suffer with us, uh, there will be <laughs> an episode, uh, there will be a little bonus uh, for uh, for all you patrons where you can watch us watch the entirety of Endless <laughs> Eights together. Um, but yes, anyway, back, back to the point. So it really holds up. It actually really does. Like the directing is, is very snappy and, and interesting. And there's, there's never, there's almost never like a boring shot, right? There's a lot of, of like kind of plain or, um, non-moving shots, but overall the direction is really solid and, the animation and the polish and the background, um, even the kind of overblown like exposure filters that they put on sometimes, um, all of it really gives Haruhi as a show, as like a visual piece, a very strong sense of place in this idealized high school world, right? Yeah, it's very competent. And if you ever have any question about what we might be talking about, just watch the episode where they go over the entirety of the school movie that they produced. Because even the fact that they were able to produce a school movie, like, like just the fact that it was so spot on shows how good they are at animation. Right. Does that make sense, yeah. right? Yeah. That they were able to replicate all these angles that a student production might have that are terrible, or all these different kinds of mistakes that you might make as an amateur filmmaker. Like, I, I was just... <laughs> I was laughing throughout the whole episode because well, it was so good. I was like, yes, that that is how it is when you're recording like a high school movie. Um, and uh, if you see that in, juxtapos- in juxtaposition to how the rest of the animation is, you can see, okay, so this is how 
a professional animation company does things versus like you know a beginner. Right. Well, that was that was my favorite thing about the voice acting in that episode, which was it's purposefully bad. Yes, yes, it's so wonderful because <laughs> you know that these voice actors know how to act, but they're it's so putting funny. it on for the for the school production. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so funny to hear voice actors who are playing characters who are playing yeah. characters in a student-made yeah. film, yeah. pretending to be bad at acting. That's really great acting, honestly. <laughs> it was, it was, mm, I love, I love all, everything about that. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, um, the, the attention to detail is actually pretty impressive all the way through. Like, I know yeah. Kyoto Animation is, uh, Kyoto Animation is like really well known for their, uh, their polish, right? Um, because, yeah. Uh, I don't know if this was the case when when Harvey came out, but it's kind of a weird uh, anomalous studio in the fact that they tend to make all of their anime at once and then release the season, as opposed to animation studios that just make it sort of week by week. Um, they usually obviously have a, a couple episodes, you know, surplus. But we can see the we can see the seams of that when something like um, COVID-19 happens and we don't get anime episodes. Like, we don't get this, yep. the end of a season because they, they just couldn't put it together, right? Right. And I don't know. It's, it's interesting because Kyoto Animation is really the, the sort of shining beacon of what, what anime studios should strive to be, right? Like, you know, treat your workers fairly, uh, make sure they have good work-life balance and don't have this huge crunch to make money. And it's it's kind of sad because like um, QNE does certainly work to some extent, right? Um, but there, like anime, kind of as an industry is is very hostile to these things, and it's it's kind of no wonder that like a lot of shows we get are just kind of like, well, this this is just checking some boxes, right? Like right, yeah. Um, and it's it's such a shame that despite the fact that Kill. Ani is so like part of their company philosophy is making sure that ideas are new and fresh and they're always hiring um like new graduates and stuff like that they are shunned for it almost right uh, in yeah comparison to the rest of the anime industry like it's it's such an anomalous studio and i mean it's it's uh, it's unfortunate but like they still definitely put out some of the best work right yeah um, yep but yeah harui suzumiya is like really great on the rewatch like actually if you pay attention to like like what what the angles of the camera are and like where the sort of eye is supposed to be drawn if you pay attention to the lighting in this show i promise you will you will learn something about how lighting sets mood right (laughs) there is there is this amazing kind of like um like there's no, almost no neutral lighting like i talk about this when when we were watching um endless eighth but there's almost no neutral lighting in the show it's all like natural quote-unquote right it's it's yes they animate it but like it's natural lighting so like you have uh the kind of like almost too bright light of like daytime especially in summertime when it's like it's almost making everything a little bit hazy um you have this kind of like um dark green kind of color at nighttime because that's what color the the lamps are and that's like the only light you're getting uh is this like weird artificial kind of green light and like you're holding a scene about like this serious meeting about where about like oh we're stuck in a time loop right like we actually have to talk about this um and then you have um for instance when when kyon initially gets told that uh nagato is an alien that lighting is so harsh and artificial and like (laughs) it's kind of washed out and you're like really sterile and uncomfortable 
because like mm-hmm. that's it, like it's kind of this like weird world shattering event where like nothing makes sense anymore. Um, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. Everything about it is is so so strong in setting the tone of the scene you're about to watch. It's right. It's funny because like I talk about lighting a lot, right? Because I I notice it when the lighting is good, and I never realized how good the lighting is. In yeah, I mean, Susania. we talked about it in the the Batman anime, where right. the lighting in that anime was so stunning. In addition to the actual rotoscoping of of the matches, but right, we we were people notice when the, when you pay attention to the lighting, and it's not just that generic neutral lighting. People notice, right? Um, and it adds a lot more to the it, it makes it makes the atmosphere. I it's one of I think the strongest points that makes Haruhi feel so real as as mm. kind of a thing where when i think about a lot of anime uh, it, obviously a lot of it is just kind of like oh you know like this is just fantasy or this is just um sci-fi or, or whatever right but when i think about Haruhi Suzumiya it takes a very physical place in my brain like it mm. kind of sets up shop there and mm-hmm. like a large part of that to me is is definitely definitely the lighting right and mm. It's it like I cannot overstate how important it is for that kind of um, for an anime specifically to tell you that kind of information, right? It's like background music where the background music is setting the tone. It's setting your expectations for the scene that's about to follow. So it's very very important in a visual medium for your visual to to like have the kind of like right mindset, right? Right. So. Kudos yep. to uh, Haruhi Suzumiya's um, uh, production because it's it's quite stellar. Honestly, it definitely still holds. Like, there's there's uh, definitely like um, there's an episode or two with some some CG in it, but even that's not that bad because it's meant. Oh to be no, kind of... the the CG was never egregious for me. Yeah. Even if it seemed a bit dated, I was fine with it because they used it so minimally. Well, they also use they also like one of the biggest CG moments is when they're inside a computer and they're in a computer in two thousand three, which is yeah. like, yeah, actually, this is about right for the era, right? Like, right. This is appropriate both to the era and to the story it is telling. So yeah, fair enough. Windows ninety five. Oh my god, when they booted yeah. that up. During oh the my. Co- oh the movie. my. <laughs> You just look at it, you're like, oh my. Yeah, I had to sit back in my chair a little bit. I was like... <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I, I, I definitely feel it. Um, and, and obviously, like, we, should, we should have a, uh, a, a special shout-out to both the music and the, uh, the voice acting, right? Yeah. The music is really good. Um, mm-hmm. I think I... I don't know if I wrote it down anywhere here, but... Um, I, yeah, I don't remember who did it, but the music is, um, it's funny because, like, the music, background music is so different now than it used to be. Like, and that's kind of stating the obvious, right? But, like, do you remember when all anime sounded like it was Persona? <laughs> like, there's a very specific era when every background track sounds like it came from, like, a Shoji Meguro, like, ripoff. <laughs> or, like, inspired by, right? Like, there's lots of these kind of, like, uh, tinny trumpets that go, like, um and it's it's noticeable but it doesn't distract i don't ever feel like um no it's a lot more noticeable though than a lot of background music than that is that is kind of played nowadays where like it's very inconsequential and like i don't really notice it but in the harvey i do notice it but 
rarely are characters like speaking at the same time as the music is like blaring. Um, mm-hmm. Which is actually, it's funny because this is kind of an issue I have with the movie, which is that the, I, I've always thought this the sound balancing on the movie is so bad. <laughs> like the talking is all really quiet because the movie is pretty somber all around. And then the music is quiet. Yes. super loud. I, I agree. hate it when they do this. Yep. There were times during the movie I was surprised, even though I was listening to it on my speakers, I got surprised by the sound because I was leaning in, listening to the dialogue, and then it'll go completely quiet, and then there's a scene transition, and then suddenly music, and I was like, oh my god, (laughs) I need to turn the volume back down. (laughs) You can tell when something went to theaters and then was never sound balanced for home consumption. Uh, This is one of those movies, for sure. Yes. To be fair, um... Given the quality that I watched this movie at, uh, it's very possible that it just was sort of never ripped properly, and it was uh, anyway. Um, I haven't, and you know what? I, I've just decided our next podcast episode is going to be about piracy because we we have to talk about piracy. Piracy. Anyway, um, yeah. Moving beyond that, like uh, the movie looked really good. There was a lot of sort of rotoscope shots, though. You could tell. Oh yeah, but I didn't mind it, and yeah. the fact is, is that it it looked good. <laughs> well, it looked good, and it also, um, and I don't know how many times I'm gonna have to say this, but it's it's appropriate for the tone because yeah. the entire movie is about like a more, I guess, grounded reality, and so as a result, the colors are much more muted and dull, and they the are. animation is a lot. Um, it's a lot smoother, but almost like kind of uncomfortably so because it's like rotoscoped and you have a lot of these like sort of panning shots. It gives you a like really dizzying sense of of reality where it's like, oh, this is like hyper real. Like I'm watching like a soap opera in 60 FPS real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Why, why don't we sort of just roll right into to talking about uh the themes because we're going to be here probably for a little while i wrote up a lot Forever. I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts about it um so let's talk about uh Hari suzumiya as sekai k sekai k is a sort of subgenre of of uh of anime where the relationship between two people is the driving force of events up to and including world events as metaphor for the relationship so basically what happens in the relationship between these, you know, two people is is affecting what happens outside in the bigger world. Um, sometimes it's apocalyptic, sometimes it's not. Ava is, is considered sekai ke, or prototypically sekai ke. Um, so this this was interesting to me, um, because, like, Ava, or not Ava, um, but, like, Haru Suzumiya to me is kind of, like, not necessarily the archetypical sekai ke, because there are other ones that are more explicit about the whole affair. But this one is is also pretty explicit about the whole affair right like Mm -hmm. the relationship between kyon and haruhi is is what sort of drives all of the surrounding things that happen um including the the sort of like supernatural existence stuff right yeah the characters talk about a lot especially koizumi he's always yeah he he spends a lot of time about how his relationship affects haruhi's abilities and then that manifests in the world (laughs) right right yeah um it's it's interesting because Sekai K um, generally is about is about coming of age, at least in my experience, right? Um, mm-hmm. Much of it has to do with how the relationship between two people affects how they relate to the world itself. Um, oftentimes, that that sort of relationship is is you know made literal. That's that's the sort of t- 
defining thing, the defining marker of, of sekake as a genre. But yeah. when you have uh, Haruhi with her godlike uh, powers, it's kind of like less about the, the literal idea of, well, what if somebody had godlike powers? And more about like, what, what about like young people is it that like makes them so capable of enacting change in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of a level of this where um, it's coming of age as uh, apocalypticism, right? About the end of everything as you know it and the beginning of something new which is to say like the end of your childhood and and turning into to an adult, right? That's kind of a very important theme when you think about apocalypticism. Um, but there is, to me, a very interesting examination of, of this relationship between two people, how they navigate a world that they're unsatisfied with and how that affects the world around them, right? This idea of a better world is always imaginable, and you can always take steps towards creating it, even if the entirety of society tells you that it's worthless and that you should give up on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Harui Suzumiya is a character that is absolutely obsessed with the supernatural existences because it is both a way to alleviate her existential dread about being a tiny human in a large universe and is also about how the relationship between a person like that and a person like Kyon who is so grounded and cynically minded how how those two people interact and change and become adults <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about Haruhi, right, is that a lot of it is about this line between truth and fiction and this this kind of blurring of, of reality about what reality really is and about how it's kind of a lot more of what you make of it than than what people tell you it is. Like, yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because, like, there, there's obviously this, like, dramatic irony. There's always this, this dramatic irony of Haruhi Suzumiya never knows that the never knows and never can know that all of the people that she's gathered around her are the the very people that uh, the very sort of entities that she's looking for. She's looking for an right. esper, an alien, a time traveler, someone from another world, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the people around her, the people that she's gathered around her. But she'll never know that, right? So there's right. this kind of like, um, it's al- it's almost like a don't take for granted what's around you, um, kind of message about like, <laughs> yeah the specialness of of mundane everyday existence is is the relationships with the people around you um and at the same time there's also kind of this like level of like well actually like it this stuff does and and can exist and it it is up to us to keep believing in it right it's it's like when you become an adult and you still carry the the wishes and hopes and dreams of childhood with you and you don't let that you know, become something that is squashed by society. Yeah, I I do love that kind of uh, the way I I would say probably one of my favorite moments in the anime was when Kion was literally trying to explain to her right. that her her the other SOS brigade members were you know espers and aliens and and time travelers and and she explodes at him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that she's so grounded in reality because she wants to fight reality so much 
she has to have a good understanding of it. Right? Like And uh yeah. <laughs> it's just great to watch. <laughs> well that that's like that's like the central thing about about the the series as a whole. Yeah. Which is this idea that, you know, as much as Haruhi wishes for these things, she yep. still has a very strong sense of reality. In fact, stronger yes. than probably anybody else. It's the reason yeah. that the world operates as normal, even with these these existences that mm-hmm. she's, you know, unaware of. And she might be causing things to happen without her knowing um, that might put the entire world in danger. But, um, you know, like Haru Suzumi at the end of the day is more realistic about the situation than anybody else. And it's funny to me because there, it, it, it is this irony where Kion, who doesn't believe in this stuff because he's cynical and terrible, is the one who sees the most consistent proof of it happening. Right. Yes. And that is the kind of way in which the world of of Kion, a sort of cynical minded adult and the childlike wonder of Haruhi mix into like two people who have learned from each other and who are going into the world um, knowing that things can be better. Right. And that's like something that's really important right now. Right. Like the idea that things can be better. We can imagine a better world for ourselves. And that's like the first step to making that world happen, you know. It is, um, how do I say this? Uh, there are quite a many, quite a couple, uh, people out there who are just sort of like, ah, no, nah, better things are not possible. You, you should stop hoping for that to happen. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, like, they are possible. And, 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 and this is something of interest to me as, as somebody who studied literature, right? But the sort of transformative potential, um, of literature to, do things like change reality because reality is sort of really at the end of the day what we make of it right and Mm -hmm. i i like it because the the opening of the show is it it says as much right um one of the lines um one of the translated lines from the the first opening is in this world where truth becomes fiction we become stronger because we have dreams right yeah. It's about the importance of of maintaining this like hope. Yeah. I uh and there's there's also um I remember this moment in the uh I guess it was the movie where um Kion was talking about how his sister is 11 and still believes in Santa and then Haruhi immediately is just like, "Yo, that's great. Tell her to keep it up." Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dreams are so important. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah yeah i mean it's i like um the sort of structure of of hari suzumiya as a as a a narrative device because it means like when you have the cynical protagonist be the only one who kind of experiences um all of the weird stuff that's happening it also kind of calls into question the narrator himself and whether or not like and this is this is actually like very explicit because in the movie that's literally what happens right he gets transported to a universe where all of that stuff never happened. And he's just going around telling people like, but you're from the future. And of mm-hmm. course people would be like, that's so weird. What are you doing? Get away yeah. from me. Stop touching me. Right. You're a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's, it's very funny to me that that, that sort of um, arc is, is centered around the idea of like, well, what if Kion was just sort of making the whole stuff, <laughs> making it all. <laughs> I do um, like that. Um, they he has that moment towards the end of the movie where he has to confront himself and be like be honest with himself for once and and right. ad, you know own up to the fact that he does actually like the fact that he gets dragged around by Harry on these crazy adventures because it's fun 
that's that's what I love though, right? About yeah. about the the sort of end of the disappearance of Haria Suzumiya and also like that as as a kind of end like a bookmark end, right? Like a yeah. bookend mm-hmm. to to the entire yep. series. Like that's yep. why I really don't feel like there needs to be more anime because yeah. that's such a perfect way to sort of wrap it around. Like obviously, you know, it does the the time travel shenanigans where like we revisit the 3 years ago Tanabata and we we have another sort of layer of time travel going on and all that sort of stuff is is interesting, of course. Um but then at the end of it, it you know, when when he has to contract himself, it's like well, it it is more fun that way, right? It it's more fun to be in that place where, you know, things are things are happening and I'm I'm tired every day because somebody is just like yanking me around. But at the same time, that's like the the fun of being a teenager and and the fun of youth and like in a very interesting way, going back to the world that is full of supernatural things is more mundane than not. And <laughs> it is it is one of these very interesting, like, central tenets of Haru Suzumiya that was very, very formative for me when I when I watched it the first time, um, back when I was like thirteen or whatever, right? Like the idea that there is something special about the mundane. Like the yeah. idea that 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 everyday life and the relationships that you have with people and the things that you do with them are special in the moment because they happen and then they're gone right Mm -hmm. and it's so funny to me that like the um like again the the supernatural existences are are mundane things and harui is just hanging out with them the entire point of the sos brigade is is to just hang out with supernatural existences which is what it what it is and yeah right like even if there were exciting things happening at the end of the day they're still just in a club they're still just kids hanging out doing i don't know whatever bullshit that they're doing as as kids right right? and it's it's kind of funny to me having watched it both like before i entered the the sort of like you know teenager zone and after i I've left the teenager zone, right? <laughs> it it is very interesting to me the the experience that I had like yeah. just kind of like um revisiting something that was so formative to me growing up cuz like when when I watched it I realized how special the mundane was, how special the everyday was that the things that are happening now are maybe like not ideal and maybe there are some things I wish were better they're special because I'm I'm gonna realize that they're gone before I know it and and it was a large part of me at like 13 years old being like I don't actually <laughs> want to grow up faster like a lot of people are like oh, I want to drive I want to drink alcohol whatever yeah but like from 13 to like now my entire life has just been spent being like ah, I could just spend a little bit more time here to be perfectly honest like yeah uh, you know I, I, I don't know um it's there's something like kind of lovely about that because because, and this is, I think, the main sort of thing that I, I got out of uh, watching Hari this time, which is the central theme of it is, is this idea of, of your mundane existence being the cure for nihilism. <laughs> which is so funny when I, when I say it like that, right? Mm-hmm. But 
Haruhi Suzumiya has very few moments, like, we have very few sort of moments where we get, like, a very somber, serious Haruhi, and one of them is when she's explained to Kyun just kind of offhand why she believes in aliens and espers and, and time travelers so hard, or at the very least wishes that they existed and, and is searching for them, right? Even if she knows that they don't exist, is because what's the point of a universe where, they, where those fun things don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. It, the world is, the universe is so large and cold and cruel. And what, what does it mean to not have meaning in that world without those right. things, right? Mm-hmm. Harui doesn't necessarily believe in God. And the dramatic irony there, of course, is that she is God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she's really grappling with this, this kind of actually legitimate moment of, of, of nihilism, of this like kind of Nietzschean nihilism of what do we do now that God is dead? And right. that is that is so interesting to me that like one of the most popular light novel slash animes of all time is about nihilism and and to be honest like uh, yeah right like we're only like four uh, like seven years off of of Evangelion at this point something like that and yeah. Evangelion is is I don't know if it's necessarily about nihilism it's it's about other things right. Mm-hmm. I don't remember yeah. if I ever said it was about nihilism. Um, if I did, this well, oh boy, this is embarrassing, isn't it? Um, but I think <laughs> Haruhi Suzumiya is so much more about this mundane horror that everybody has to experience at some point in their life, where they're like, right. "Okay, I'm a human being. You know, right. I think the things around me are pretty important." And then you're like, "Okay, I'm one human being out of like three million that lives in my like state, and then right. out of like three hundred million or whatever that lives in in my country, and." I'm one out of seven billion on a planet, and that planet is a dust speck in the universe compared to the sun, and the sun is a dust speck in the universe compared to the size of the universe itself, which might be expanding forever, and it might be empty, right? We might be alone (laughs) in the universe, and that kind of, like, like, Coming to the realization that, like, and it's, like, interesting, because, like, that's one of the only somber moments we get with Hari. One of the only serious, quote-unquote, serious moments. And it's, like, such an offhand, like, throwaway thing that, like, tells you exactly what the entire series is about. Because Harui has to grapple with, like, what does it mean to be a human being when I don't have an express purpose? And her answer to that is, well, I'll just make a purpose, right? I will find meaning right. in the things that I do every day. I will hope and dream for, for greater existences to exist. And by doing so, they do exist. And yeah, she creates I, I meaning. I would say, yeah, yeah, exactly. She creates meaning. And I feel like that's probably one of the reasons why this is one of the most wildly successful slice of life anime is because it brings a whole nother meaning to you know slice of life is that you know slice of life anime is about observing people doing their daily you know mundane life things but the fact that it is also in this in the context in the context of this anime a battle against nihilism or learning how to accept your nihilistic views and coming to terms with that but also maybe learning a new point of view that mundane life maybe isn't so bad. I right. think that also 
is what helps this anime really stand out or the story really stand out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like the thing though, right? Is that it, it is a slice of life show slash yes. series slash light novel. Like, yeah. After like a certain point, it really just, it's, it's a slice of life. Like you, most of, it's funny because like about 80% of Hari Suzumi is actually just slice of life. And then there's like 20% where like a bunch of cool, exciting stuff happens and Kion almost dies because he gets like, almost stabbed by <laughs> an alien right um and you see like yuki nagata doing like cool techno magic and stuff yeah. they're right? literally remaking the world and all that but it is still a slice of life anime <laughs> yeah at the end of the day a lot of it is slice of life and i don't i don't think that's an accident right it is important no. that 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 is is what uh what the bulk of the show is because it tells you what it's about right Yes. It tells you what mm -hmm. it is. It's the fantasy of slice of life. And this is another thing that I'll get into um, about the, the difference between the series and the movie, which is this. Um, it is it's funny because it's actually just like the idealized sort of high school youth. Fan slice of life sort of thing. Like, like what right. really what really is the, the fantasy of slice of life? Right. It's just enjoying the sort of mundane things that happen around you. Just having a good time, right? Yeah. Like, every kid, I, I promise you, every kid experiences this moment when the illusion is broken. Yep. Like, when you, when you realize that Disneyland is fake and, <laughs> you know, um, Santa Claus isn't real. Oops, spoilers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell Kion's sister. <laughs> don't tell Kion's sister. Um, but, like, everybody, every kid has that moment where they get told by an adult that things aren't real. They come to the realization all their own by looking at the people around them and what they believe. And they realize that the things that they wanted so strongly, the, all of the exciting, fun things that happen in fiction that they have been essentially fed since birth aren't necessarily real. And it takes, a, it takes people a long time. Some people never do, but it takes people a long time to realize that like, they do exist because you're experiencing them in, in the medium that you originally experienced them, right? Like, the fantasy is, is uh, like, you're never going to be whisked away to an isekai, as much as you wish you were, right? But isekai fiction and the fantasy of being an isekai does exist because you get to watch it in anime. And it's funny because Haru Suzumiya does that, but for being an average person that lives in existence every day in a high school, and it was so wildly popular that it basically made all anime for the next 10 years just about school. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> all, better all, or for worse. <laughs> all the anime that came after that was just about, all right, let's go to school some more. Yeah. And the things that happen in school. And all of the sort of responses to that were also about school and youth and, and i think it's really important when we look at this in the context of what what is what was it like in 2003 japan right like this is around the time that like genshiken is set and um the entirety of japanese society is becoming disillusioned with the economic boom and like no wonder right no wonder people latched on so strongly to a series that is both about like the idea that that exciting things exist out there just outside of our reach. And at the same time is a fantasy about 
school, this like kind of sacred time when you're allowed to make mistakes and change and be whoever you want to try to be and you can fail and that's okay. And you're not a part of like, you know, uh, salary man society. Like, no wonder that was so, so popular, so explosively, wildly popular at the time. And this is, like, coming off of, like, you know, the sort of disillusionment that already existed with Evangelion, right? This kind of apocalypticism. But it's, like, a very grounded, nihilist, like, introspection that I think, like, is the reason it caught on so, so, like, pop, like, it's so wildly, like, it clung to people's imaginations because... I mean, because of the things that happen in, inside of it, right? Um, the things yeah. that it even says on the tin. It's like, I wish espers and aliens and time travelers are real, and I bet you do too. And the answer mm -hmm. is, of course, overwhelmingly, yes, we wish those things were real. <laughs> I mean, nothing to say that they aren't. It would be, like, you very... You found them yet. It would be very unlikely for there to just be no other sort of comparable living existence to us in the <laughs> entire universe. It's so fucking big, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, it's... I don't, like, it is depressing and terrible and at the same time is also weirdly hopeful and... I don't know. I think Haruhi Suzumiya is, is maybe one of, like, the... And obviously, this is colored by my sort of... um nostalgic attachment to the series but like it is one of the most important series to me personally because it, it is about those things about how important mundane life is and how you can still wish for a better world and how you can create your own meaning in a world that is devoid of it because that's kind of all we can do and like fiction is is a way that we have of of interfacing with that right like when Haruhi Suzumiya is dissatisfied with the world, things happen and things change. And like Kyon and Haruhi end up in an Adam and Eve situation. Or, uh, you know, Haruhi accidentally almost destroys a city or whatever, right? All of these kinds of things. But as the series continues, those things happen less and less. And they talk about how Haruhi is calming down because she's satisfied with her sort of mundane life, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, the, the fun that she has with her friends every day in the classroom is special enough to, to satisfy her and to, to make it so that she isn't as dissatisfied with the world, even if she's still outwardly looking for those things, right? It's like, right. you know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very passionate about this because I really, really <laughs> like Haruhi Suzumiya. Um, it's, it's interesting because like Haruhi Suzumiya was one of the first anime that I watched where I was just like, I mean, there has to be like more stuff to this, right? Um, and I like found this like weird subculture of like amateur voice actors and voice actresses who played the, um, who kind of like fan fictioned out the like, uh, gender-bended version of the character. It was very odd. Anyway. <laughs> um, YouTube was a very weird place in, like, 2009, <laughs> 10. Um, <laughs> still is. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it still is, but, you know, now it's, now it's like, YouTube is, is grown so far beyond the, like, conception of normal human beings because back then, if somebody had 
like a million subscribers, or if somebody had like a million views on a video, you would know about the video. The internet was so small. Right, yes. Nowadays, I find people with 40 million subscribers, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? I've never <laughs> yeah. heard of this person. They've been making yep. videos for seven months, and they have 40 million subscribers. What? What? <laughs> where am I? Like, what universe am I living in where this is what, what is happening? Like, it, it, and in a weird way, Haru Suzumiya kind of harkens back to a time when, when anime in, in at least Western spaces was this weird, 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 weird niche thing. There were a lot of people who watched lots of Naruto and, and all that kind of stuff, because, like, obviously Toonami was airing and stuff was, was airing on Cartoon Network, etc., etc. Um, but, like, anime was so... Like, anime like Haruhi, even though, like, as explosively popular as it was in Japan, was, like, such a niche thing in the West. that You had to just, like, go and find some fan subs in three parts on YouTube, and, like, that really just tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it, about how old I am. <laughs> yeah. Um... It's funny because Harry actually, when I think about um, the way it looks, uh, even though like season two, I think looks a lot more like like sort of Kyoani's like Kion style. Um, it it has this kind of um, it has a lot of character to it as as just an, a piece of animation. Like mm-hmm. it it's it just feels like anime doesn't like a lot of anime doesn't necessarily get made that way anymore, right? It just it feels yeah. like. It has a, a certain character to it, um, and almost like, like, we talked about how much polish it has, but there's almost a certain lack of polish that, like, gives it this very charming feel. Um, like, it's very approachable. Whereas a lot of anime nowadays is either, like, very kind of, uh, not that interesting to watch visually, or is very interesting to watch, um, but is, like, so polished that it maybe is, like, it's, it glides over your eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I love about Studio Trigger's animation so much, is that you can kind of tell who's animating when you're watching it. Um, yeah. And a lot of other anime don't necessarily have that, that very personal touch to it. Like, mm-hmm. Harui Suzumiya has a very Kyoto animation feel to it. It's very unique um, as, as a piece of animation. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is like, this is like when like digital animation was was like the industry standard right right at the start of when digital uh animation was like the the and the um standard and it still looks really really good like it still looks like it has the character of being hand-drawn like it's funny because like all anime is 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 still hand-drawn right except for i guess the cg stuff um which there is more of nowadays and and more that doesn't suck but like it's funny because um there is there is more of a, a a person behind the animation. It feels like, you know, mm, rather than having it automated by a program or something. Right, right. Um, and I think that obviously that has to do with like the lighting and the backgrounds and stuff. Um, I, I always find it funny when I watch the movie and it's like there's so much more detail because you can tell they just had more time and more budget. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Let's talk about um let's talk about the the sort of last two major arcs of uh or the two very Okay, let's talk about the three very big arcs, right? The first one okay. is the one where um Haruhi decides she is done with with uh mundane life and she is going to create a new world um unintentionally yes. and she drags yes. Kyun with her. Yes. So, 
This is interesting because not only, not only is this uh, episode like like six, right? Um, <laughs> it's episode six, like chronologically too. So in every single time it's aired, it has it has been like episode six, and it still feels like an ending episode, which is why some people that, watch it yeah. last. That's why, like, I legitimately thought that it was an ending episode, and we would. Like when I was watching, I was like, "Are we? What are we going to move on to after this? This feels very conclusive, you know." Like, I I wouldn't have been surprised if they ended it there and they decided to move on to like a new cast or something after that, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, you know what? This is this is actually kind of funny because um I I think that the structure of of that being like the sixth episode um because i i have to assume that this is the way that it happens in the light novels too where like you have that big dramatic arc where like all of these exciting things are happening um and then you just have a bunch of mundane stuff happening is responsible for so many light novels doing the exact same thing where you have like six episodes of this really dramatic interesting arc and then you have like slice of life for six episodes have you noticed this um, I don't know if I consume as much light novel content as you, well, but, like, uh... <laughs> well, like, think about, um, one of the, one of the most, I think, like, I, I want to say egregious examples of this is Oreski, right? Do you, oh. do you remember how, like, for, for three episodes, like, three to six episodes, it was this super dramatic story where, like, people were being yeah. betrayed left and right, and then yeah. afterwards it was, like, mostly just slice of life? Yeah. I don't... I think that's Haruhi's fault. <laughs> I mean, you, you're you probably right. I, um, I'm just trying to think about whether I like that or not. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Some people copy something without knowing why it works. In Haruhi, right. it, it works because the entire series is about the importance and the fantasy of Slice of Life, whereas in other series, it has different implications. In Oreski, I don't think it really does anything. Um, hmm. except for maybe in the context of what I think it, uh, this does in um, Orega Iro or uh, my, uh, my love comedy Snafu, which is also one of my favorite sort of um, school series. Because um, that also follows a very similar format where you have a lot of very dramatic arcs back to back, and then you kind of coast on Slice of Life for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And in that, I think it has to do with I suppose rewarding the main character for conforming to society, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and um, which is not necessarily the case in Haruhi. It is to 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 a certain extent, obviously, because Haruhi is quote unquote coming down. Um, but no, I I think as as a dramatic arc, it's it's very interesting because a lot of very exciting things are happening all at once. Um, and it comes to a head where Haruhi and Kion. Basically, um, the thing that is tying Haruhi to the existence is her relationship with Kyon and, and how much, you know, she likes him, obviously, because they kiss at the, at the end, right? Um, <laughs> and even though she doesn't remember any of it the next morning, um, she still has her hair up in the ponytail, meaning that, that they kind of still, it, it had an effect on her, right? It, it right. affected her, uh her sort of character and her mental state and that's like that's kind of where the sekai k is right where the relationship between these characters is what causes the world to return to normal but that also um what happened during that arc affects the characters moving forward right and 
it's it's funny because you can tell in the rest of the series that that Haruhi is, is a little bit more upset with Kyon when he's he's getting like kind of like touchy with other you know characters. Yeah, yeah, it makes more sense in that in that sense. Right, like There's, we wouldn't we wouldn't understand as much why he why she gets like that. Right, um, it's it's nice because it's this little character tick that changes. Yeah, but is is a clear indication that things have not stopped moving and that these characters are still growing. Um, yeah. I think another reason why that format kind of works for Haruhi Suzumiya is because the beginning arc establishes all the rules and, and all the characters and stuff like that, and then it culminates into such a big, dramatic resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel like the slice of life afterward is really earned, and you yeah. want that for Haruhi because you don't want her to freaking have to recreate the world all over again. <laughs> sure. And I, I think, it, yeah. honestly, I think it works better, right? Like, I don't think yeah. Haruhi Suzumiya as a, uh, as a series would have worked as well if it was just sort of back-to-back incidents where, like, Haruhi right. is doing the world ending again, right? At a certain point, the world ending doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Because you know it's not gonna. But it is important when it happens once or twice because it, it is doing things to her as a character and like the next big time we see that right because like that that arc really just kind of establishes the the main relationship between Harvey and Kion and why that's so important right and then the rest of the show carries it through because when we get to Endless 8 there's another kind of world quote-unquote world ending right like a failure state I guess if you were thinking about it in video game terms um right moment where Time cannot progress forward because she doesn't want summer to end. Yeah. And that is interesting to me for a lot of other reasons. Um, specifically because uh, it is time to talk about Endless Eights. <laughs> Endless Eights is one of the most maligned arcs in all of anime <laughs> history. It was so... <laughs> infamous for upsetting people who were fans of the show that the show (laughs) producers apologized they made a public (laughs) apology because it was so poorly received right because endless eights is i i'm not kidding you when i say it is eight episodes of the same narrative beats right it is the same summer (laughs) told eight different times Which is fine in a light novel and fine in manga <laughs> because those those can happen eight times much in a much shorter amount of time than it can in an anime. But in an anime, and people suspect that the reason they did this was because um uh, because of a couple reasons, right? Because there was not as much light novel out. Um, like they didn't want to make filler content, even though they kind of ended up making filler content in a way. Um. But also because, um, like, season one came out in a weird order, right? And I think Mm. it was because they did not know if they were going to be greenlit for a season two. But um, Mm. the original airing order of season one is all over the fucking place. It starts with the adventures of of Mikuru Asahina, which is the the culmination of the school arc. Uh, of the school festival arc, right. which is which happens in season two, mind right. you, right? <laughs> right? 
so that's the first episode um, because yeah. it narratively establishes the um, the the role of each of the characters in their kind of like supernatural existence, right? Um, yeah. Actually, I I have I have to say kudos to like the way it was um, put together because for a, an anime that um, wasn't like if they didn't know it would get a second season, they put it together very very well thematically. Um, but not even remotely chronologically. Things happen all over the place. We skip like six months into winter, and, and there's just no explanation for that. And um, <laughs> but when you watch it, you don't you don't notice it because you're just like, oh, this is vaguely chronological. Like this makes sense, I guess. Um, <laughs> and by the time you reach the end of the season, you you forget that you even watched the Adventures of Mikuru Asahina, and you're and you, you're like, where did this come from again? I don't understand. And then you're like, oh wait, wait, yeah. Like if you watch it wait, chronologically. So- yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So I watched it chronologically, so it made yes. sense to me. But correct. And and I remember you telling me while we were watching Endless Eights that the the school movie is the first episode of of the whole yes. series. Yep. But so they they held off on showing you the making of the movie until until the after two? Endless Eights. Yes. Like, like broadcasting wise. Well, just production wise, they they made the well, they I mean, made, yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, when they broadcasted it, when did they broadcast the making of the movie? Uh, after Endless Eights. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, so it was the farthest possible point between those two, those two sort of pieces that it could have been. Oh my anyway, god! <laughs> um, so yes, part of part of the reason that season two had eight episodes of Endless Eight was undoubtedly because they spent some of season two material in season one. So anyway, um, <laughs> but here's here's the thing about Endless Eight is revisiting it now, right? It's very interesting, artistically very interesting, um, at least to me. <laughs> I I explain this a lot, but like, um, I I kind of love it, right? I kind of love the fact. Okay, I I want to put this into context. The first time okay. I watched Endless Eights was when it was airing. And yeah. I don't know if anybody else has experienced <laughs> that, but imagine every like imagine you're in the middle of summer, you're having a good time, you're like 13 years old, so nothing fucking matters. And <laughs> every every week on like Sunday or whatever whatever day it was, you're like, oh boy, a new episode <laughs> of Hari Suzumiya, my favorite oh anime, <laughs> and. For for eight straight weeks, it was the same episode. I feel uh, like people probably destroyed some TVs at that point, you know? Like, <laughs> like I 100% like sympathize and I, I, I empathize with those people who really, really disliked it because, my God, it was soul-crushing as, as, a, yeah. as a kid to watch that. Um, but, now sure. as a, but now, 10 years later, as an adult watching it back, it was, it's one of the <laughs> most fascinating art choices that has ever been made in an anime. You and can I, appreciate the uh having watched a lot of anime now at this point, you can appreciate how different of a decision that they made. <laughs> yeah, right? Like there is nothing else like Endless Eights. Nothing at all. <laughs> right? Like there's other anime about time traveling, like The Girl Who Left Through Time, uh Madoka Magica, uh I'm sure another one, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um I guess Maybe the Evangelion reboots, if you're counting. That's what I was thinking. Maybe the maybe the Evangelion movies. (laughs) But that's that's kind of ambiguous, anyway. But like, yeah, 
absolutely nothing does it like Hari Suzumiya does it. Because imagine if nowadays you were like, I want to make an anime where eight episodes in a row, week airing weekly, are the same episode. I think, I'm, <laughs> I wonder, okay, so when did they produce Endless Eights? Um, probably like 2009. Okay, so they, they at this point, would have had a decent amount of success from the original. Oh, yeah, it would have been explosive. People were doing the fucking Hare Hare Yukai all over the place. Right, and so then they would have been able to then fund Endless Eights and make it, because there's no way that an investor... In, no, no, no. in their right mind, would would fund this? No, no, no. Right? Of, of course not. Without was, without any kind of uh, you know pretense. It was funded because it was so like season one was so absolutely unequivocally popular. Right, it right. Was, they were like, oh, there's no way you could do any wrong. We'll just fund whatever you you want. <laughs> it was the anime of 2006. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> the, <laughs> that's the okay. The, I mean, one of the reasons why. You have to consider why there's nothing else that exists like this is because common sense dictates that this shouldn't exist. Well, <laughs> and no, so then you wonder. <laughs> here's the thing: the only reason that nothing like this exists nowadays is because people looked at endless eights and they were like, "That's marketing suicide." Nobody I mean, would ever greenlight would- anything like this ever again. Right. But people would have done that if if Endless Eights had had come out on its own, right? Without the without the first season, and they were like, "We want to make an anime arc about this specifically." People would have said no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it's Haruhi, and like, it's part of the thing. Yeah. And I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie to you. Honestly, you can get the experience of Endless Eights just by watching the the three episodes, like the bookend episodes and just one in the exact middle, right? Yeah. Like, realistically, you get the idea. Yeah. But, and this is like, <laughs> this is a but. Here we go. <laughs> I, am, I am coming out as an Endless Eights apologist. Oh. <laughs> I think the existence of Endless Eights is brilliant i don't necessarily think it was a smart idea um financially (laughs) but my god artistically it sure like okay so here's the thing (laughs) we oftentimes think about media in in ways where we wish that they gave us other experiences besides pure entertainment right this is something that Do comes we? up in, in well. This is something that comes up in video games a lot, right? Where like when you think of something as art and not simply as as entertainment, it means that you are expecting the the expectation of it is that it can deliver you experiences that are not necessarily purely enjoyable, and that is something that we kind of crave, right? There is a reason. Oh, okay. Well, there is a reason why. Um, why tragedies are such a, a popular enduring genre of of theater, right? Right, like, but I would uh, it, it kind of like to me tragedies also falls under the umbrella of quote unquote entertainment, but that might right. not that might not fit the strict definition of entertainment because it's meant to be yeah enjoyable. <laughs> but there is there is a kind of like um like there there is a kind of uh shall we say like artistic movement about 
not necessarily delivering enjoyable experiences, right? Like, if somebody set up an art exhibit that was meant to make you uncomfortable, like, that's, that's, that's the idea, right? The idea is to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, something, for um, example, like uh, being in an, an echoic chamber where, like, you can't hear any sound and suddenly your own body starts to tear itself apart and you have to get out of there before you go um, <laughs> bad. So, um, there's, like, that kind of stuff. There is, um, obviously a lot of art surrounding, uh, very traumatic events, you know, stuff like the Holocaust and, um, uh, other sort of genocides where a, a lot of art created around that is, is not for entertainment. It's, it's to make you feel sympathy or empathy, um, or to make you feel uncomfortable about the things that humanity has done, right? Like, I think there is, um... There's, there's like a, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's, there's a lot of sort of art exhibitions and pieces that are like this, that are meant to make you feel uncomfortable. In sort of game, in the game world, um, one of the most kind of uh, now well-known examples of this is, is Pathologic, and Pathologic too, as a sort of, sort of byproduct of that. Um, but Pathologic is an experience that is extremely not enjoyable but it makes you feel what, like, it sets out to make you feel despair, and you, and you do feel despair. And, uh-huh. among, and amongst a lot of other things, yeah. Um, I mean, the reason that people know about Pathologic now is, is because uh, resident of the internet, H-Bomber guy, made a, like, a two-hour <laughs> video about it. As, as uh-huh. most things, you know, whenever something um, gets a sudden bump, it's probably because there's an H-Bomber guy video coming out about it. Um, <laughs> But, like, that's the thing that, that to me strikes me the most about Endless Eights um, is that the primary things I feel, um, aside from, you know, kind of, like, <laughs> the mind-numbing feeling of watching oh the God. same events happen over and over again, is yeah. um, is that kind of boredom and that, that, that feeling of being trapped uh, and, and empathy for Yuki Nagato, who has to watch this happen 15,000 times. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I, do, I understand your argument about like how this could be interpreted as a work. Of, I mean, it is. It is a work of art because it helps you experience something outside of outside of yourself. Essentially, it mm-hmm. helps you feel an yeah. emotion or tap into an emotion that you knew was there, but you weren't feeling it currently until you experienced the work of art. Um, and so it definitely falls into that. Um, especially if you, uh, have any kind of sympathy towards Yuki Nagato. If you didn't before, you do now. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, and, and this is the brilliant thing about it, right? Which is that, and I don't need to, I honestly, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you if any of this was intentional at all, because, I mean, they made eight fucking episodes that, that cover the same events, so, like, I don't know. I feel like most most normal logic goes out the window when you have something like this. But like the the <laughs> kind of amazing thing about endless arc, uh, endless eights, um, the endless eights arc. If you watch it all the way through, um, and obviously if you if you maybe want a less uh, painful experience, you can experience it with us. Um, if you're <laughs> and and you listen to our pain and feel yeah, better, <laughs> we can suffer together. Right, but it's um, it makes you feel empathy for Yuki Nagato because you get to see her perspective, but you don't. They don't tell you that. 
um, at least not necessarily as explicitly as they could, right? When you feel that, you begin to realize it on your own and you know what that feeling is because you are literally experiencing it as, as you watch um, it. Yeah, it, I, I, I would go. say even though they did reproduce the same episode eight times, that it was very intentional that they wanted you to experience things from uh, Nagato's perspective uh, because the way that they wrote her in in these episodes as the only one who is aware of what's happening and she's keeping count each time of what event is happening. Right. And uh, Kion goes to her for answers and then suddenly is too overwhelmed to even comprehend and tells her to stop. Telling him things, right? Like I think they de- they definitely had that in mind. They just didn't realize how much ire it would produce from the fandom. I mean, that yeah, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> we can say that they certainly made a choice, and I respect them for making a choice. Um, yes, I also respect them for making a choice, even though that choice also soured me on the, on the yeah. Series. I could tell you were dying. <laughs> You thought you thought we were in for three episodes. Nope, eight eight episodes, eight fucking. It should have been three. <laughs> we can cover. Well, yeah, you can cover the what happens in three episodes, but nothing quite beats watching all eight to experience the full Yuki Nagato sympathy arc. I uh, like. I think this is also like a general. It, it it fed into the feeling of what I generally have a problem with in slice of life anime is that they're a little too willy nilly with their time because it's supposed to be mundane, <laughs> right? You know, right. life that sometimes they take too many liberties with how they spend their time, and I don't appreciate that because I appreciate, you know, tighter writing than that, basically. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you can have a slice of life anime that is very intentional with its pacing, but. It feeds into the narrative that they're they're trying to produce, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so this, it felt like you could have condensed it. Like you could have probably still had it happen eight times within that three episode time yeah, span yeah. or whatever, and you not have it feel as have. wasteful. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I can't honestly fault them too much, uh, considering the fact that uh, it seems like it was a. Um, I'm not going to say it was an artistic choice because it it really might have just been sort of a, an <laughs> economical choice, right? It might have just been the most pragmatic thing they could have done. Like, obviously, if you don't want to write filler content, the best thing that could possibly have fallen into your lap when you don't have material to adapt is a time loop arc, right? Like, <laughs> like it, that is, that is a blessing <laughs> from God. Jesus <laughs> descended from the heavens to hand you this, just like have at it, right? But I feel like even if they didn't have time, they common sense again would dictate. Oh, we'll change things like slightly between right. episode to episode. But I love it because <laughs> they don't use common they sense don't. going into it. But okay, <laughs> in in the defense of endless eights, if you actually watch every episode. There are no reused shots whatsoever. They animate every they single don't. episode. They animate every single they, scene differently. They <laughs> change the pacing ever so slightly between episodes. They change yeah. the directing. They have new shots and everyone is wearing different clothing. It's honestly <laughs> like like there is no argument to be made that it was it was a decision made to be lazy, right? Like no no <laughs> part of this was lazy whatsoever. Because they, they put the work in, 
and it looks like they did if you watch them back to back to back like we did if you watch yeah. it week to week oh my Dreon, <laughs> holy uh, okay i legitimately understand but like there's actually nothing 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 in the world will ever compare <laughs> ever compare to watching it week to week like and this is an this is an argument that posits like the youtube channel uh makes uh in kind of the uh uh, and I, I talked about this to, uh, I mentioned this to you when we were watching, um, the, um, the Endless Eights, but, um, Full Moon Wosagashite, when it was coming out, was, was one sort of, uh, episode or chapter, I don't remember which one it was, um, a week, uh, and each chapter or episode covered a week of real time. And so over the course of a year of watching or reading, um, a, a series, you are watching and experiencing in real time a character going towards her death in real time, right? There is something kind of amazing about that experience that you will never get unless you <laughs> do it purposefully. And you would never do that purposefully because why would you, right? Like, you yeah. would, no person would ever watch Endless Eights week to week nowadays <laughs> unless they were really just masochistic right like i wouldn't do it right i i sat through endless eights the first time week to week <laughs> and it made me quit harley suzumiya like i got all the way through endless eights i watched a couple episodes of the next arc and then i just stopped watching it like i just couldn't watch anymore i don't know what it was i just stopped but I would have stopped too, honestly. I'm amazed, actually, because now that I think about it, I did make it through Endless Eights week to week. Jesus Christ. Yeah, if um, I was you, I would have stopped. I would have been upsetty spaghettis. I would have quit the anime forever. <laughs> but then we watched it all the way through recently for the podcast yes, episode. For the podcast. <laughs> and now that I've done that, I'm, I might never have to do it again. I don't think I want I to do it again. I hope you don't do it again. I don't, I don't think I'm going to do it again. I don't know, maybe check with me in a decade. I might have different feelings about the whole thing. Oh, affair. no. <laughs> but, like, you know, um, it, it is, it's certainly expensive. And, and, okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of bring this around so that, you know, we're not here for three hours because uh, that would be impossible to edit. Um, I, would, I would enter a sort of endless eights of my own, right? So, yes, you would. <laughs> the entire point of the endless eights arc is about um, how special things, when they become like uh when they become like rote like when they become uh pattern and and not special anymore because they're happening all the fucking time lose yes. all meaning whatsoever right yes the entire kind of thing about this arc was the fact that haruhi does not want summer to end because she she does she's not satisfied with with her summer and she feels like it it they didn't do enough even though they were doing stuff every day and it takes an extra little push to say, hey, we can spend that last day doing something that isn't fun, but we're going to be doing it together. And it's, that's very important because it is um, kind of another moment where you see Harui growing up as, as a human being and as, like, as a kind of a coming of age thing where this, um, this person who just wants to have fun things happen all the time has to experience this transition from the fun thing ending to the other things that are not as fun starting, right? And 
Yeah. In, in mm-hmm. a way, it is a, obviously about, like, a high schooler who doesn't want summer break to end. God knows. Like, I was in high school for four <laughs> right. years. I never wanted summer to end. Like, it, it it really is like that. But, you know, like, and, you know, this is obviously explored in stuff like 500 Days of Summer or whatever. But, like, when those things become so rote, they they lose all meaning and they're not special anymore. And it is the ending of those things that gives them the meaning. Right, not necessarily the things just happening by themselves, especially if they're happening over and over again. And in in an interesting way, it's both a metaphor for youth, right, as as a thing that will eventually end and will have been special, maybe, but will not be special if you stay within it forever, right? Maybe you'd want to spend a little bit of extra time there, um, but it has to come to an end eventually, and you have to grow up and become an adult, which is kind of depressing to hear, but. <laughs> right um but it's also like about about death right you can't be alive forever you can't experience being alive forever eventually you will die and the the death of you is is what gives your life meaning the fact that you will eventually cease your your biological functions gives the things that happen to you and are interpreted through your meat brain uh that's what that's what makes them important and special because they're happening to you and you're experiencing them and they're making you feel certain things about the world you're interpreting them right and yeah it's amazing to me that that is thematically what i'm drawing from from the endless eights arc and it's something that they they never say ever yeah mhm right they're just like okay cool um now that now that we want to spend the the last day together doing homework, um, we're done. We're done with the time loop, right? And Harui like really chills the fuck out after that. Well, okay, not necessarily because she still has to go through the whole film thing. And there's definitely a point where Kion gets fed the fuck up. But like, bro, I- that we gotta talk about that arc. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> yeah. I that I, that I think I think is one of the the most uncomfortable arcs for certain people because it is so focused oh. around the actual ramifications of what it's like to be Haruhi Suzumiya's friend. I yeah because it was all right. So watching this now. Um, you have to kind of watch it in the lens of like, okay, well, there were certain things that were in in fashion in writing, quote unquote. Correct. That, yes, absolutely. That that were popular in the early two thousands that are not popular now, and so one of those things was a hundred thousand percent how they treat Nikuru's character. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. The fact is, is that I don't necessarily even have a problem with Nikuru as as a character. I think it's cool that she's a time traveler and that there's an adult version of her etc etc but the writing around her is so uncomfortable that it makes me a little crazy and it was the only it was like the most disliked thing about the show that i had about it personally was yeah because it centered it didn't center but it was such a huge part of the show was haruhi forcing mikuru into all of these things that she clearly doesn't consent to, right, but yeah. she, she does anyway because she isn't able to stand up for herself or chooses not to stand up for herself because she doesn't want to piss off Haruhi, who is the creator of the world. Who you is know, God. So on yes. and so forth. Yeah. And so that's such a huge part of the show, but I'll, I, you know, move past it because I, 
decided, you know, it's an early 2000s show. I just gotta, you know, I have to yes. accept that that's what it yeah. is. There, there are um, <laughs> certain things about the show for for sure that are yes. of of the time period. Um, one of yes. the most kind of prominent ones being Haruhi Suzumiya as as a character. Because the thing about yeah. Haruhi Suzumiya is that many of what she, like a lot of what she does is informed by very niche communities in in Japan at the time. Like this, this is the thing, right? Is that Haruhi is like. Is is in many ways almost a stand-in for for like the otaku figure, where yeah. you know, she she knows about like moe appeal and like yeah. akihabara and like right. you know um, bunny girl appeal yes. and and nurse right. appeal and, and all that all that kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah. So there's a lot of writing in Hari Suzumiya as a whole that feels like, especially in the early, yeah, I think. This is mainly a problem in, like, much of the earlier stuff, right? Um, yes. And it, it kind of, from the sounds of it, chills out a little later. But, like, it's very much like a a novel written by a, a nerdy dude in 2003. Yeah. And I, what I really, okay, it, so the, the low light of the arc is that it does really come to a head in, in the sigh of Haruhi Suzumiya. But... What I really respect the show for is that they address the fact that one of their biggest bits is really uncomfortable because it blurs into lines of consent and what's right. okay to do with your friends and what's not. Like, how mm-hmm. do you actually, how does Harui actually see and treat her friends? Does she see them as friends or does she see them as objects? Right. And that yeah. line gets really blurred, especially with Mikuru. Um, and so I do like the fact that. Kion, as our um, point of view character, confronts her about that. But you also have to consider the fact that he's very biased towards Mikuru. And he also kind of, there is a little bit of a debate within him whether he actually enjoys what Haruhi does to her or whether he's against it. Right. He, he does that throughout the show. But ultimately, he decides that he's going to stand up for Mikuru and, you know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so uncomfortable. It is and, a very but I really liked that they had that confrontation. Yeah. Um and then the way that it resolves pissed me off. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet. Yeah, because it doesn't it doesn't really. And It doesn't! It doesn't it doesn't And and I and I will say this, like that scene is really great because it, it employs that same thing that Toradora does where like it's like a little too real for a moment. You're like, oh yeah. God. Oh Jesus. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I felt my blood pressure rising. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was so highly uncomfortable. I was like, I hate confrontation. This is the worst. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, I do respect the the, the writing uh, going and being like, you know, we got it. We got to look at this as it is that Haruhi probably would go a little too out of control in this kind of situation. And Kion is always the person who tries to reel her back and levy her expectations mm-hmm. a little bit. 
Uh, and that's where well, that really manifested. And it, boy, did it bother me that everyone put it back on Kion to approach Haruhi, even though Haruhi was the one who was in the wrong. They were both in the wrong, technically, because he was about to hit her. Yeah, no, that wrong. was that was like, ah, um, Kion, stop. Yeah, but right. I definitely you can't did hit not your like friends. the fact that he had to approach her to, to reconcile. And she did well, not, she didn't even look like she was apologetic, even though she was like, kind of secretly doing the the ponytail thing like she wanted to maybe make up with him she ultimately didn't uh make any effort towards it you know she just kind of received kion's words and then they made up <laughs> right i i think i think in all fairness like um yeah the entire series is kind of this is has always been this negotiation between uh harui and kion and like yes like he kind of acts as the the uh moral guidance like if if we think about the um and, and this is oh god this is the most like literature ass thing i'm going to say i, I promise <laughs> here we go <laughs> all all podcast long i promise this is the most literature thing i'm going to say but like there is a very freudian kind of um <laughs> contention between haruhi as the id and kyon as the super ego where uh, yeah. where a lot of Harui's impulses are tempered by Kion and right. that's a very important part of being a person is having both of those things because and and uh, like let's just like roll right into it right like that's like the thing about the disappearance of Harui Suzumiya is yeah. that what happens when when Kion doesn't have Haruhi right Yes. And it it more explicitly talks about like this this um relationship that they have and the negotiation that they have um than than the rest of the series where without like Kyon Harui would sort of run amok but without Haruhi Kyon doesn't do anything. He doesn't have anything that he cares about really. Um and lives kind of this like mun like like obviously mundane, but like this kind of like listless, depressed life, right? Like a very sloth-like life, where right, yeah, like, he kind of just settles, and he, that's it. He complains a lot about Hari dragging him all over the place, but he yes. secretly enjoys it because yes. otherwise he wouldn't he wouldn't do anything. Hari is responsible for many of the the important relationships that Kion builds that you know make his youth so fulfilling right like if we think of harui and kyon as one person you know you can't just have temperance you also have to have the the desire to actually do things because temperance without you know uh desire is just is just depression right? <laughs> you know yeah um, or yeah i i think in that case uh, a person like kyon would either you know have that long inaction inactive depression or would probably seek out chaos in a really unhealthy way because he doesn't have you know a frequent quote-unquote healthy source of it if you could say that haruhi was a healthy source of it and the thing about it is that like when you when you get to this other universe um this other created universe where harui suzumiya does not have godlike powers and nobody has supernatural existence they're all just normal people Kion is the one who, out of everybody, believes the most in those things, like, in, in a sort of twist, right? And we see, we see Haruhi in this universe 
who is just, just so sad. <laughs> like, she just decided to listen to the adults in her life, and she went to, you know, the school that would be best to get into college. And yeah. it's just utterly miserable to watch yeah. a character that we, we know to be this kind of hyperactive, motivated person that does all of these, you know, fun things because she wants to, to have fun with her friends, to just listlessly going to school with like the one person who was maybe interesting but really isn't actually uh when you when you really think about it um right it um i i do really like the way that the movie kind of if you were like me and your sympathy for haruhi really took a dip after the sigh of haruhi suzumiya the the movie more than makes up for yeah, like absolutely. You rem- like like reminding you why Haruhi is such a needed presence in right, the story, because she's, and I mean, because yeah, because she's important to Kion. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like Kion cannot exist as he does without Haruhi. That's a very yeah. important part of of who he is as a, as a person now, and the kind of enjoyment that he finds in his life. Right, he's having mm-hmm. fun, and this is this is the fun thing. This is like the funny thing about like slice of life fantasy is a lot of the fantasy of Slice of Life is just having friends. Like, I'm not even going to beat around the bush that really, like, realistically, even a lot of school stuff derivative of Haruhi is just about having friends, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> like, it, it's kind of understated, but, like, it, it is a, it's such a vital part of, um, of what makes, uh, what makes that, that existence so, so fun and fulfilling is, is having people to share it with. Right when Kyon realizes that you know he's not in his universe, um, he can still probably live out a Kyon could live a just a perfectly adequate life with Haruhi in this universe and and Koizumi and you know Asahina and 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 Anagato Yuki that is just a person who is interested in him and is like just kind of a shy bookish person and. He realizes that he doesn't necessarily just want, you know, that. He wants the existence that he was having before, the one where Hari is dragging him into fun things. He wants to be with the people who he shares memories with. And, yeah. like, I, 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 I mean, I think that's important, obviously. Um, there is an entire sort of alternate universe uh, spinoff called The Disappearance of Yuki Nagato, who, uh, that is where he just stays in this universe and he forges a relationship with Yuki Nagato, which is wait really yeah which is i mean <laughs> cathartic in some other ways because you're because you're like oh i love yuki nagato she's the best character etc etc um yeah she was big moe in the movie she's big the, moe the in the alternate movie. yuki and it's yeah. it's it's funny because like when you really think about it that is the the idealized version the idealized human version of yuki nagato because that's the universe that she creates for herself Right. right? Yeah. And like that's kind of that that's like kind of like the thing about um the entire movie is that uh is that Kion is going through all this stuff and he's like having a real hard time adjusting to a, a an actual normal sort of life. But the the most like the central kind of thing about the disappearance of Hare Suzumiya to me is not about Hare Suzumiya, um, which is funny because most of the series isn't necessarily about Hare Suzumiya. Um, <laughs> but it's about Yuki Nagato. And it is. the yep. displeasure that she feels in her in her yep. current role and how much she wants to continue to be like 
a part of of Kion's life and the rest of the SOS Brigade's life. Like the the club is the keys. Like the club needed to be gathered for for the the choice to be given to Kion even um to to right well right well the conflict i i like that it occurred after the the whole endless age nonsense and then also the sigh of haruhi suzumiya which yuki also helped mitigate by keeping um haruhi's powers from you know lasering kion through the forehead or whatever (laughs) Mm -hmm. um is is the stress that built up from her having to do all that to to manage the god of creation or whatever right um and that she ultimately decides that the world is better off with haruhi not having her powers and then sending haruhi off to a completely different school and separating the brigade altogether um but then there's still that part of her that thinks of kyon as something different and has him choose which reality is better well um it's I think that's also really great because like you know a lot of the th- a lot of the things in the series um it's really sort of up to to Kion but like as much as Kion kind of makes things happen and and tempers Haruhi like it is Yuki Nagato who actually physically enacts those things exactly and, and like this is something that is mentioned in the movie where he's just like I just kind of started to assume that you could just take care of it and yep. that was the dumbest thing I could have done and yep. it's it's this amazing moment where not only do we get this this great humanizing moment for for Yuki which is just you know me you know I'm a sucker for any time <laughs> like a a like yeah. robotic kind of character yep, yep, is just yep, like yep. I'm discovering humanity like it, yes. I'm just such a stupidly so just such a sucker for that right yes um but like, not only is it is it a great moment for that, it's a great moment of character growth for for Kion, who yeah. has until now kind of been treating Yuki Nagato as a special existence um, outside of Harui and and kind of you know the club as a whole, right? Where yeah, like after that, he kind of treats her more like one of the club members and less like you know the yes. sort of caretaker. <laughs> right, I I completely agree. It the. The conflict, the central conflict of the movie, and that how that resolves between Kion and Yuki is so well written because you feel sympathy for both sides. Like you, as as a human being, you know, if you were in the situation and you, you know, were confronted with the fact that there's a god in your midst who can literally remake the world at any moment just because of her mood, and then you have another alien existence who seemingly has on near unlimited power um and is able to fix everything you would naturally want to lean on that on that alien existence right. because that existence also has an interest in making sure that the world doesn't get remade over and over again yeah on the flip side you understand how yuki feels because you went through the endless eights arc <laughs> right you went through 15,000 loops i'd be a little yes. upset yeah <laughs> but i mean like so i think it does great to tie that all together yeah and I think like that is that is one of the most like heartbreaking scenes in the entire series. This like yeah. moment where like and it's God, my God, it's such a good scene. Like the voice acting is Tomokazu. So you get out, mm, delicious. <laughs> oh, so good, so good. <laughs> like Kion is ready to to just throw hands with himself. It's just amazing. But like 
it is it is this great culmination scene for the entire like it is this great like climax moment for the entire yeah. series where Kion yeah. has to kind of choose between um you know a world that will be comfortable for him but you know doesn't have the people who he has has made memories with but has similar people who he could make memories with um including a yuki nagata who he could form a real relationship with um but he's still just drawn to the people that he has been making memories with and he wants to continue to be with those people and that's a completely understandable impulse like when you see that choice laid out before kion you have to you kind of think about it and you're just like i like i don't know what i would choose right and yeah it's heartbreaking um, because this is this is like the culmination of Yuki Nagato's frustration because yes. she wants so badly to be treated as a part of of the world and and she's stuck in the role of an observer and it's it's funny because in a, in that in that way we're kind of put in that same position where we mm-hmm. look at this fantasy this slice of life fantasy and we're Yuki Nagata we're like I want to be part of this world I want to be part of this this brigade there is almost certainly a reason why Harui Suzumiya was so popular and why SOS brigades just popped up all around the world because people wanted to believe <laughs> so strongly in this idea because it was so powerful, right? And again, you're, you're in that position of Yuki Nagato where you're like, I wish I want to be here. You know, I want right. to be a part of this, but I'm stuck as an observer. And it's, it's this great moment where you feel sympathy and empathy for her without them ever explicitly telling you to. Yeah. You you're just put into the you're put into Yuki's shoes more often than not, and you can see those moments of frustration building up, and those moments where she's acting a little bit more human than her programming, mm-hmm. you know, is is supposed mm-hmm. to allow. And like, it shouldn't be a surprise, but like, human beings will will socially bond to fucking anything. I've <laughs> have you ever seen the way people treat Roombas? Yeah. Like it, anything vaguely that we can project human characteristics onto, we will. Like I think, yes. there because we're such social creatures, there is an element of humanity that will always just be lonely. And yeah, there is no. I think there are so few pieces of media that I think isolates you in such a way that you feel that loneliness like deep inside than Haruhi Suzumiya does. And I think that's why it resonates so so powerfully with i mean with with the audiences that it does that's why it's so wildly popular to this very day i mean god you people are still doing hare hare yukais because the new book is coming <laughs> out people like these are latent memories within people's bodies like yeah yeah you know like before the chica dance side there was the hare hare yukai yeah no i i love the fact that the movie so like beautifully the the way that he the things that he says to Yuki saying like how they would go and fight the entity for her if they decided to try and erase uh, Yuki's existence and all the things that he says to her to make her feel necessary and needed and wanted were I I almost teared up I was yeah, like oh no, my it's, god it's good. like <laughs> it's so good all of the build up of the series even stuff you didn't know was happening especially if you come off of eight episodes of Endless Eights, I tell you. Like, you feel it! Yeah, no, it was... Oh my god. The baby Yuki. 
Baby Yuki. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, yeah, like, um, I... T- I I feel a compulsion to go back and, and read through the disappearance of Yuki Nagato just because, like, I, Nagato <laughs> deserves something, you know? Bro, that scene where he was, like, going through the, 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 su- the turnstile or whatever, and then Yuki is, like, holding on to him, and then he slips out of her grasp because he chooses to go to his old world and leave her behind, like, the alternate Yuki. I was like, oh, my God. It's, yeah. Now I know why they made a whole spit-off series. <laughs> it's legitimately, like, that's, yeah, yeah you, there's enough material there because, yeah. because of, you know, the, the sort of, um, culture that is built around yuki nagato the kind of memory that is that is yuki nagato um and i don't know there's something very special about yuki nagato's character in in harui suzumiya because like despite the fact that she's not necessarily the main character or the narrator she occupies a role that is so vastly different from the other two brigade members that aren't harui or kyon right yeah and and like don't get me wrong obviously there are certain things about um you know for instance Asahina who, that are interesting um like there is that little tidbit in one of the episodes where Koizumi mentions like he's just like always faking his smile so you never really know how Bro, he's feeling Koizumi has such strong Akechi vibes like i swear oh Akechi my was somehow God, he's got like them modeled after Koizumi Bro <laughs> You're not. You're not wrong. He definitely has those vibes. You know what? <laughs> Akechigoro is just a worse Koizumi. That's sad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If anyone was gonna heel turn, it was gonna be Koizumi, which is why yeah. it's all the more shocking that it's it's Yuki Nagato. Yeah, yeah. You're like Yuki's kind of the bad guy here. <laughs> I don't know how to feel but about that. But she's Moe. Right? Like. <laughs> this is great because it's one of like the the most brilliant examples of where you can find antagonism without evil yes like truly true antagonism without being evil an obstacle is being presented a choice is is being presented to the main character Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and those circumstances that he's put in are are tough but they're put there he's put in them because of other emotions that aren't hatred like they're put there yes. because of, of things like attachment and love and yeah and frustration at that those things are not being conveyed properly and that's kind of like that's just so much more interesting to me to be perfectly honest like yeah no i love it it's it's so good hari suzumi is so good at being at being this incredible like weird like secret life drama while at the same time being a completely <laughs> mundane slice of life show while yeah. also being incredibly character driven right that's the thing <laughs> that gives Hari Suzumi as such life as a as a series is its characters it would be nothing without the characters and the characterization mm-hmm. that is is lovingly put into each one of them as as members of the SOS brigade and you know it's um i miss it still right like, <laughs> In 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 a in a way like I, it's such a formative part of me that like, ever parting with Haruhi Suzumiya would be like parting with my childhood. And, oh, um, that's the true coming of age. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know, it's it's weird stuff. It's like Haruhi is Haruhi is objectively kind of a weird series. Like you would never yeah. assume that this would be mainstream popular, right? But it 
is not only mainstream popular, it's like explosively genre definingly popular. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it is. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I th- I think that's it. I think that's. I all think I that's have a to good say. note to end on. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I think I think you're right, Renu. Uh, mostly because yeah. I'm very hungry and I want to eat food. <laughs> so why don't we uh, why don't we do the uh, old <gasps> wrap up? Woo woo woo! Eat eat eat. Okay. Um, I suppose who are you and where can we find you on the internet? Who am I? Uh, you can find me. Brand new on the internet at uh, Swandron on Twitch and Tumblr and Twitter. And you can find me on Instagram at swan.drawn. I uh, currently am streaming commission art. And I'm also currently in a small tiff between an art thief and myself. <laughs> oh, huh. Uh, they are, uh, you know selling my art on amazon and that's not okay so i gotta deal with that uh yeah so um update on that probably sometime this weekend (laughs) on my twitter damn damn wow Uh, you've made it renu people are stealing your art that's what i was thinking i was like man i made it to the big times that people are selling my stuff on like amazon (laughs) right right big yikes (laughs) yep Yep, can't get away from it. Can't yep. get away from it. Unfortunately, it's uh, just an aspect of life we must all deal with. Uh, anyway, anyway, <laughs> that's what I'll be up to. I'll be fighting. <laughs> I believe in you. You can do your best. Oh, thank you. How about you, buddy? Uh, you can find me all the places at Literal Soup. I'm really not up to much on the internet right now, aside from doing the podcast. Good. So, uh, yeah. That's that's kind of it. That's I don't have any exciting news <laughs> for you or anything. I'm just going to be in the woods for a week. <laughs> That'll be Woo-woo. interesting. All right. Well, um, thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, this this was uh, maybe maybe like a little bit longer than than our normal episodes. Although, like, we didn't even hit the two hour thirty mark. So I'm I'm proud that we kept it concise. Ah. <laughs> Because it means less work for me. Anyway, uh, our opening is by Scotty Network and our ending is by Takamakata. And the patrons we are thanking this, uh, I suppose, month are... Let's go! Evan, Cheru, Frostfall, Magpie, Miratest, Sean, Claire, uh, and Dylan. Thank you so much for your Thank support. Thank you! Uh, you make the world go round and uh, you make the subscriptions go burr. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I mean, it it is it is very important that we are um, are able to keep up our our anime subscriptions. Although, <laughs> maybe that's something to talk about for our uh, our next episode. Uh, stay tuned. I promise. I promise. 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 Now, under f- fear of death. Mm, oh no! Don't make promises you can't keep. I keep telling you this. <laughs> under fear of death. No, <laughs> no. I promise you that episode will come out at the end of this month like it should on that Sunday. Whoa, I don't. <laughs> Bro, the world is going to straight up end before that or we're going to get caught in a time loop, endless eight style before the end of the month. <laughs> it's okay. It just means I got to sit down and do it. Um, 
<laughs> yep, yep, yep. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate all of you who continue to give uh, give us uh, your uh, support. Yeah. And, uh, thank you, thank you. We will uh, <laughs> see you next time. See you next time. またしたね。